All right, all right, all right, Bizzlecast listeners, welcome to the Bizzlecast commentary for the movie Contact from 1996, one of my favorite science fiction movies of all time. I thought I would have released Interstellar before this, but this really paved the way in a way that Interstellar, as great as it is, and as much as I love it more with each watching, can't really match. The chemistry between Jodie Foster and Matthew McConaughey is ridiculous in this movie and really helps inform the science for faith and religion argument. I'm going to go right into it. This thing lines up perfectly. You're really going to love the commentary for this one, so I'm going to count you down to get your DVD or digital file to 000. And here we go. Subtitles on, a little bit of ambient music, and here comes the countdown. All right, people. Three, two, one, go. All right, people. Welcome to another edition of the Bizzle's favorite 90s movies that are both cool and trippy, if possible. Contact uh, was kind of an easy choice for this one. Um, I love this movie in the theater. I probably had it on home video. I definitely watched it on TV. Um, over a number of year period, at least from when it came out in 97 to 2000. This movie is extremely, in my opinion, artistic for a movie that is A, a blockbuster movie, and B, a science fiction movie. And we start with a very understated title card and an extended uh, radioactive, if you will, look at Earth. And it's many noises revolving around the sun, which somehow we didn't know till about 700 years ago. Thank you, Copernicus. Here's the whole solar system. So I recently did the interstellar commentary. There's almost no way that hasn't come out already if you're listening to this. Uh, I'm doing this one for down the line. Um, but, uh, that had Matthew McConaughey and it had some interesting hard science fiction and it had some really interesting speculative science fiction. And so does this, but look at this. We're listening to Martin Luther King going all the way out to the edge of the solar system. We're more than 90 seconds said, this is what space is about. And this is what the space program should be about. And while the Martian and interstellar both had very interesting and engaging things to say about these operations. I'm not convinced that anything has topped contact for me in terms of the, you know, emotional slash personal slash, I guess, spiritual stakes of this entire thing. There's Adolf Hitler. Yeah, got to listen to the subtitles occasionally. Um... More than two minutes in, we're still pulling back. You know, I saw before I started this that it's two hours and thirty minutes, and I should say it, it might be as much as fifteen years. You know, twelve to fifteen years since I last saw this, um, and that's how I wanted to do it. I didn't want to rewatch it first. I wanted to dive into it because I remember it so vividly for a movie that I've probably seen you know four times, but it was like fifteen years ago. It's amazing. Matthew McConaughey, seventeen years after this, twenty fourteen did Interstellar. He was a hot rising star back in 97, and uh, you know, now he's a hot ri- rising star again. We're still pulling back. Here's the thing. This three, four, five minute pullback from the solar system to the galaxy and beyond, you would never, ever be able to pull off now. Even with some indie movies, like quote-unquote mainstream indie movies, be like, people would be like, oh, this is way too long. 
But in 97, it was a revelation. And when you're adapting a book by Carl Sagan, who is agreed to be the most brilliant sort of cosmologist of the people, if you will, um, one of the most brilliant cosmologists, period, but had an unbelievable knack for talking with people, communicating for them the excitement and mystery of science and astrophysics and cosmology. And here we are. It's, you know, it's like the Matrix, uh, the Matrix Voyage, but highly, highly meditative. Okay. So, this is the young Jodie Foster here. She looks familiar. She has a relationship with her dad, who I guess goes away earlier than planned. And that informs her whole life. This guy's a great character actor. He's been a bunch of stuff. Um, I, I can't remember his name. But it's his interaction with Jodie Foster at the end in almost a field of dreams. It's like field of dreams on a foreign planet between two alien species. But it's really the same dynamic, except father-daughter. She's obsessed with radio technology and the ability to talk far distances orange juice very hard to find child actors like this look at her look how charismatic she is she's smiling at him you know it's uh, i I always get nervous because you think about the parents of these kids and how they got here in the first place and what it's going to do to their life you know this this girl's right on the border of too young uh for me in the sense of just nervous about her as a young child actress, but that's okay. It's at least a positive working environment uh, with the director, producers, and cast. Um, That much we can say. And Jodie Foster is also, I I believe, a Hollywood baby. Um, And so it's kind of an interesting contrast. Could we talk to the moon, she says. Right. She's got to build a bigger radio, and that's what she ends up spending her life doing. It is interesting, delivery, even in 1997, is a little sitcom-y by today's standards, you know. I mean, Gravity, Revenant, and Birdman have won the last three years' best picture. And uh, that's more naturalistic, uh, <laughs> you know, speaking, to say the least. There's really nothing like a father-daughter relationship. Um, I'm very close to my dad. We had our issues when I was younger, mostly just because I was an asshole, <laughs> you know. And he was an asshole, and so, you know, uh, it didn't always work out. Now we're very, very close. But him and my sister have always had a very close relationship, um, they have similar sensibilities, you know, they have like similar, like weird superpowers. Like they could smell any given scent from like 75 kilometers away and identify it. Um, you know, my sister has been quite open about it and it's really funny and I'm more like my mom and, uh, you know, I did the, uh, or, or I think I released again. I don't know when I'm releasing this. I think I released my Les Miserables uh, 2012 film commentary, 
and the relationship there between Cosette and her adopted father, Jean Valjean, played by Hugh Jackman, Cosette played, uh, Cosette played by Amanda Seyfried. And, you know, it's like the father's greatest pleasure, but also greatest fear is the girl finding the perfect guy to take over as, you know, the primary male figure in her life. Doesn't seem to happen so much the other way with mothers and sons. Um, Although, if I think about it... Nope, here she is. Jodie Foster, late 90s, looking great. I think she's way older than even I would believe. I'm not looking it up at the moment. I probably will soon. Okay, so here's the first of many CGI, you know, satellite uh, shots. And honestly, for 97, and I'm watching this on my computer, there's the radar dish... It looks damn good to me. It looks really good. They just go simple. They worry about the lighting and not the texture. That's brilliant. It'll do. I forgot how Hollywoody this movie was. No wonder I liked it when I was like 14 or 15 when I saw this. Eh, 15, 16. Dish time. First shift is up to night. So we got the origin story. I think we're going to see the little girl again. A little, little Jodie Foster. I can't remember but anyways, so I saw this movie, and then I was going to read the Contact book, but I realized that the real book was Cosmos. Now, that had been in the 80s. Carl Sagan did a huge series on PBS about the Cosmos based on his book, Cosmos, and I read that first. That seemed more pressing, and honestly, Cosmos is like communing with god uh, carl sagan was in touch with the, the greater vibrations of the universe uh not to sound too hippie uh he was a hard scientist he was an astrophysicist and he was able to connect that to environmental problems to nuclear war to human behavior it what you know we were small but we weren't insignificant and that really grabbed me and Jodie Foster's character in this is, is already overacting. Um, is trying to do something similar. She already feels insignificant, as as we'll see later. Um, but oh man, this guy's great. I always forget his name. Okay, I'm gonna get his name. Hold on. Oh my God, that was Jenna Malone. I I wanted to say it. I did it though. Oh man, young Ellie, young Jodie Foster was Jenna Malone. I thought it might be her. I was like, I didn't know she was a child actor. Oh, uh, that's great. I love Jenna Malone. Okay, more points for this movie. There's a pulsar. Pulsar is what it sounds like. It's it's a it's a pulsing super star or or super giant. Um, that has to do with the way materials and energy move around it. It it gives off pulses of light. It looks like a a flashlight. Oh, he's blind. He plays it great. What's great is this dude can play good guys, like really, really good, good guys. It can also play very compelling and, and scary bad guys. He is in the beginning of the Dark Knight in the bank vault uh, robbery, and he has a shotgun. He's the manager of the bank. Joker comes in with his hooligans, and he pulls out his shotgun and starts shooting at them. Eventually gets killed, says, you know, criminals used to have respect in this town and so forth, setting up a really interesting ideological discussion. You'll have to listen to my Dark Knight commentary. Here's the team. Um... You know, very Hollywood thing to have a blind guy be involved with a telescope operation. 
Um, I should say that the movie was directed by Robert Zemeckis, who, for the most part, I, I like his movies. You know, he's done a lot with Tom Hanks, I think. Little Green Man. Here it is. Boom. She's looking for aliens. She's looking for aliens. She's looking for life. And when she finds it at the end of the movie, it's not what she thinks. Couple billion to go. Um, Robert Zemeckis is definitely... Oh, by the way, the blind guy is played by William Fitchner. His character's name is Kent. Beginning of the Dark Knight. Great. Uh, Zemeckis is like Steven Spielberg, basically. And Spielberg has produced his films. Um, and he's done the Back to the Future films. And, you know, I mean, he's... He's legit. Oh, man, here we go. Look at this stud. Matthew McConaughey in the mid to late 90s with long hair. Look at him. It's just exuding sex. And what was brilliant about this was that he would use his wiles on Jodie Foster, who, although not only is brilliant here, but is still brilliant. Like, in, uh, I'm sorry, not only beautiful here and brilliant, I mean, beautiful and brilliant. And now, when she's probably in her 60s, looks amazing and it, it is an it's very inspiring figure. They had a young guy, but Matthew McConaughey hitting up on her. And you think it's just a love interest, but this is one of the most interesting love stories in Hollywood history, in my opinion, or at least in my lifetime. Um, Hollywood history, mind you. And his turn as the charismatic um, preacher who is modeled on some of our charismatic preachers that, you know, sell millions of their books, but he's way more rational. He's evangelical, but he's not fundamentalist. And the great twist in the movie is that he's skeptical towards science, but not for the reason that Ellie, played by Jodie Foster here, um, believes is the case. Meaning, she thinks he's just skeptical because of science, but he's skeptical because of the soul and the spirit and what it can do to us. You know, and maybe it's a great thing, but maybe we need to also, you know, manage our expectations about what we're going to get out of it in terms of the human experience. And the religious themes of this movie, for me, are what's set it way over the top of um, just in terms of sheer idea uh, with a capital I platonic style yeah she's so good at being nerdy and cute and cute this is great you look at him he's honing in on her oh man a good meal good company i gotta go (laughs) oh he's great does he give does she oh takes the glasses off (laughs) she's (laughs) oh jodie foster god bless her (laughs) <laughs> this guy okay so you know this, this guy seems just like a uh, funny dark knight-ish type character or whatever uh but he actually is the fulcrum upon which the entire story revolves ultimately <laughs> she's johnny foster's running up so yeah i mean you know zemeckis is the man he hasn't really done a lot since the 80s and 90s. He did the Forrest Gump. He did the Back to the Future movies. He did this movie and some others. Uh, this, to me, is his crowning achievement as a director. I know he was involved in all sorts of properties and I think continues to be involved. Yeah, I, I think he continues to be involved in a lot of properties. 
this is great. Okay, these are all the nerds drinking beers, listening to stupid music, talking about globular clusters at, at a party. Oh my god, look at Matthew McConaughey. It's like Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> yeah, I can see how this became caricaturish over time, but at the time, it's pretty revolutionary. Father Joss, boom, there it is. He's such an interesting character in the book. So anyways, read Cosmos, probably twice, then went to read Contact. Realized it was about five main characters, not one, but I think they made the right choice. Uh, but Father Joss, indeed, in the book, is not an unsympathetic religious figure, which Carl Sagan, who was an avowed atheist, you know, and scientist, uh, you wouldn't really think he'd be capable of, or would, he, or would want to. Of course he's capable of it, but would want to do, but he does. He does. And science wins ideologically in contact, ultimately, in the book, in the movie, the, in true 90s American fashion, the uh, beginning of the whole anti-evolution movement. Uh, it's more of a draw. Yeah, he is uh, <laughs> without the cloth. <laughs> uh, she's totally down to bone. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah, he's 10, 15 years younger than her. You know, why not? Sadie Foster. This is great because in real life, Jodie Foster is a very precise speaker. It's not that it's as scientific as this, but it, it, you know the way she enunciates is very precise. Cassiopeia A. I mean, she's just she's got the perfect nerd science voice. And I love that she just falls for him. She, she overanalyzes everything in her life, starting from being a little girl. There's Jenna Malone. Oh, I can't believe it. Dottie Darko's girlfriend. Uh, Hunger Games. There's the planet Venus. Dad taught her. Now, was Dad an astrologer or just an amateur astrologer? I always forget that. So her dad's played by David Morse, who you've probably heard of or definitely seen in a million different movies. Um, deadly gases and sulfuric acid rain man this is awesome with the love music this movie does kind of seem like it's from the 70s or 80s but not in a bad way it just it, it looks like a you know it's like it's like it's like combining uh, Woody Allen from the 70s with 2001 Space Odyssey and this is what this is what would get sped out McConaughey's so good at looking interested, though, even while he's stoned out of his mind. It's great. We all know he's a stoner. I know people who have met him multiple times. He's definitely a smoker. Very cool and brilliant, dude. Yeah, and he agrees with her. He said it would be a waste of space if there wasn't anything there. This is part of the anthropic principle, which basically says we're here to observe the things that created us, to observe the things that created us, blah, 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 blah. Boom. And what's great is he uses that as the pickup line to hook up with her, which is great. Um, but he does believe that in addition to his skepticism as a preacher, as we will see later. Yeah, this movie... Uh, it, oh, it's not two and a half hours. It's like two hours. Okay. I was like, yeah, 97, they didn't move, make movies like this. Two and a half hours. But it moves along at a great pace. The science stuff is so well executed in the middle of the movie that on repeat viewings, it actually feels a slow in a good way, you know? They really spend the time on the personal relationships, which is what this is all about, ultimately. I'm a reasonably intelligent guy. 
I've been to Sunday school a few times. Oh, I guess her dad was a religious man. She's complicated. They're both complicated. And look, when they take their weird 90s clothes off and their hair is just like normal sex hair, <laughs> shout out to Andy Dwyer, Christopher, you know, and they're just in bed together. This could take place at any time. She's so in control, or she thinks she is, because it's just her personality. Up oh, there he is. Wow, Jodie Foster looking spectacular in 1997. Woo! Yeah, so, you know, she almost was killed. She's had stalkers, like serious stalkers. Maybe we'll get into that later. I don't think I want to talk about that. Does he have a cross on his neck? What is she looking at? She's fingering there. Oh, I just missed the father stuff. I guess he must have died young. Yeah, I forgot that. Being alone. So who who raised her? Her profile is stunning. That's the thing about Hollywood actors. You know, there are some that are very good looking. You can shoot them at 45 degrees. Both sides are straight on. But completely from the side, you know, it, it doesn't look like them or it looks like someone else. Yeah, Jodie Foster is just, it's, she's Jodie Foster everywhere. Uh, already asking for dinner nice guy that's the thing you root for their relationship the whole time they get caught up in politics i love they establish it early she's sleeping with the religious dude but she's just attracted to him jody voster in her underwear <laughs> i'm not trying to push you don't be silly I've been wanting to look at this sector for weeks. This is great. You know, Star Trek, in 20 minutes, Jodie Foster has made um, talking about stars and constellations way more sexy than 30 years of Star Trek. <laughs> Within the system, Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, she is getting out for emotional reasons, too. She's just fit. She's fit. She looks, her color is great. Her skin looks great. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I love her. I love her. I've only seen her in a few movies, but there's been more than one, including this one, that I've really liked with Jodie Foster. So I root for her. Oh my God, there's Jenna Malone again. She's... (laughs) What's funny is, I also thought of Hermione, um, Emma Watson, because they look similar. Emma Watson's a little bit more refined and prettier, I, I guess slightly more than Jenna Malone. Um, I actually prefer Jenna Malone's look overall, uh, um, although Emma Watson is beautiful, and I totally am, am a supporter. This is really hilarious. This is Donnie Darko's girlfriend. This is Donnie Darko's girlfriend, who gets run over by the car. Spoiler alert. <laughs> if you just got spoiled and you're be- you know, above the age of like 23 or 24, I feel bad for you. Go watch Donnie Darko. Oh, is this where he dies? I totally forgot that. I totally forgot we that we got three to four full-on scenes on that. She knows immediately. Yeah, she's a child actor. Jenna Malone. She's killing it. I think she's turned out okay. It's great to see. You so rarely see this with child actors. I'll get the medicine, right? He's got heart problems. Yeah, heart stuff is always the easiest to, to do. Oh my God, the slow run with Jenna Malone. She's killing it. Oh man. Hunger Games. Eat your heart out. Uh, They're doing the full slow-mo with the music. All the pills in the closet. I know. 
this attention to detail and that's what makes forrest gump great and that's why i don't sympathize with people who say that movie's bad or or badly done or whatever yeah, if if you don't identify with it, that's fine. But the tension detail in Forrest Gump is unparalleled. And you see it here, too, with Zemeckis. He doesn't fuck around. Steven Spielberg doesn't fuck around with other people who fuck around. Trust me. Their films might not always be good, but they'll be professional, at least. Oh, I think there's a funeral. Is there a funeral? I'm getting flashbacks of a funeral in this movie. This is great. Yep, yep, here it is. Yeah, the fact that I remember this from like 15 years ago just goes to show you. Just goes to show you. Some movies hit you at the perfect time in your life. It's like a 99 with the orgy of riches with American Psycho Fight Club, Matrix, American Beauty, on and on and on. No, but his movies like this that set it up. Oh, here we are. We aren't meant to know the reasons. Things just happen. We have to accept it as God's will. And this is the beginning of her crusade. Right. For her, it's a it's a mathematical equation of having, of having medicine. She got a bit of a lisp. That's interesting. Jenna Malone shed the lisp. Oh, I'm so rooting for this girl, though. Even more than I would have been. Yeah. Jenna Malone is like the hipster's actor without being a hipster or, you know. Oh, God. <sighs> yeah, you know, I mean, it. someone you love dies, it's so sad. I kind of want an Irish wake, either for me or my family, if they want. You know, you got to celebrate their life. It's already so sad. She's calling her dad. And it's so on the nose when it happens, for real, in the movie. But it's so well executed. She never... This is totally delusion. And she knows while doing this that it's delusion. And so when it happens, face to face... Now, I will say, long before the ending, and we'll get there, the general idea of what happens, sort of science alien-wise, at the end of this movie, which is so beautiful was certainly been explored in many properties, including numerous Star Trek properties. <laughs> I mean, there were multiple Star Trek The Next Generation episodes alone that dealt with similar idea. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Source code, boom. So SETI was a big thing. Search for extraterrestrial intelligence. I'm sorry, extraterrestrial intelligence. There's her blind friend who has just a feeling for the cosmos, I suppose. Um, it was a thing in the nineties, and people have given up on it. It's just not worth that. If we find if we find extraterrestrial life, great. But I think people realize that water on Mars and organisms on Mars, although they're not humanoid or whatever, is actually way more interesting because it's closer to us, and there could be connections in terms of our evolution. This guy's really sweet in this whole thing. Yeah, that's the thing. I think this is the first movie where I was old enough um, to process these sorts of, you know, subtle things. Um, but, oh, this douchebag. <laughs> but uh, William Fitchner is so sweet. Uh, even when he plays a bad guy, I have to smile. Yeah, they go, they go some shaky cam here, almost documentary style when the real drama happens. Two probabilities. Right. 
this guy's great because he matches Jodie Foster's uh, emotional intensity and then some throughout the movie. Your career will be over before it's begun, so what? It's my life, right? She's obsessed. She's obsessed, and it's never clear whether she's looking specifically for her father or whether she's just drawn a line between the two. Her younger version is definitely like younger Murph in Interstellar. Her older version is definitely Jessica Chastain, older version of Murph in Interstellar. Interstellar, you know, I mean, Wormholes, Matthew McConaughey. It was definitely drawing from this. Um whether the Aronofskis would admit it or not. So I was like 16 when this came out. I don't know how old the Aronofskis were, but that puts them in like their 20s, basically, like their mid to late 20s. Um, uh, Jonathan and, and Christopher, you know, who directs. Screw Drumlin. Yeah, raise money. Going to New Mexico. So, yeah, for sure, those guys saw this movie. So Drumlin is played by Tom Skerritt, and they do everything possible for us to hate him in this movie. And then when he dies, spoiler alert, it's still kind of sad. Confrontational. Yeah, Jodie Foster is really playing a version of herself in this movie, I think. I just have a nose for this stuff. Even the best actors and actresses who can do all sorts. Now, like someone like Christian Bale is kind of a hothead, I think. A little egotistical. Oh, ooh, tight jeans on Jodie Foster. Um, but, uh, you know, he's really a chameleon. Um, and while I love chameleons, my favorite actors always end up being, you know, like these sorts of actors. Not that Jodie Foster is one of my favorite actors, but someone who plays a wide array of themselves. Um, it's just so much more interesting because you really get into their head. Oh, this guy. This was such a cool twist. He's not even here. It's his company. He's up in space right now. Right. She gives a... She's doing fundraising. She's all dressed up. She's got this, you know, the suit going on with the jacket. That's great. She believes so much in it. I think this is one of those misdirect scenes where the board says, we don't give two shits. But then she talks to the big man and he he approves it. Hmm. Ooh, less like science, more like science fiction. There you have it. Yeah. No, that's where all the best ideas come from, you idiots. Uh, does she lose it here? Right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, she's right. All innovators have to go through this. But if you're, if it's your pocketbook, it takes on different uh, you know, value. Tiniest bit of vision, exactly. This is what real scientists are always acting, are always asking for. The tiniest bit of vision. The most profoundly impactful moment for humanity. She has a bit of a messiah complex, which is part of the attraction with Joss, who's a religious bit. Yeah, she lost it. Yeah. Oh, wow. She, okay, over a year now she's been doing this stuff. Yep. Uh-oh. Got the call from up top. 
Okay, I can never remember who this actor is. Yeah, he's watching. <laughs> he's got these guys rather the company. You have your money. Boom. The eye in the sky who she eventually meets. It's brilliant. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, this is great. This is a totally humanistic movie. Okay, so this is more like them, even though it's you know slightly more sciencey in the interstellar way. <laughs> that was a funny shot. <laughs> um, it, in spirit, although it's more serious, uh, and less certain w- what it's accomplishing, I guess, in the Martian, um, has it has that humanistic bent to it. Absolutely, that even the craziest, <laughs> smartest, but craziest people like Ellie here, though, know, spending all of her life trying to find little green men, as they joked, and she's right. And it, it should change humanity, but it doesn't. Because she's the only one to experience it, but we'll get there. Who are these guys? Okay, so I remember sort of the team in New Mexico here. It's probably these guys uh, being very funny and entertaining. It's probably very archetypal, which you can relate to and understand when you're a kid. I've had better. Oh, interesting. I'm trying to shut him down again. Oh, Haddon. That's the guy. Oh, they have to lease the government telescopes. Exactly. Yep. Oh, is it John Hurt? That place had in? I don't remember that at all. That's a good makeup gem. I thought he was Asian. (laughs) I just, as a kid, this was so gripping as a 16-year-old in the 90s. Because I loved this stuff. I didn't think anyone else cared. For a very, you know, more than solid movie, a good movie, a gripping movie to be made with major actors that gets the central issues right. Uh, she's ready to go to on again. But <laughs> she's such a badass. Yeah, I think that's the thing. I, you know, I, I, as Bizzle Castle Surf, though, I have a long-standing love for badass, uh, strong, confident, uh, independent, fuck-you female characters. And, uh, and Jodie Foster as Ellie Harris in the long line of, of great ones. Uh, but you know, I love this shit. I was totally in her head. I, you know, I would love to be living that life. Look at this naturalistic acting right here. You know, that's the thing. She can deliver the Hollywood. She can deliver the you know m- more like everyday relatable personality stuff. She's great. She's the whole movie. She's the whole movie. It's a book written by Carl Sagan, an old white guy at Cordell, and she's the main character. And, and and she's so sympathetic, even if you've never thought or cared about any of these issues. Uh, oh, they got Larry King. Oh, interesting. Look at Matthew McConaughey. He's not even looking at anything. <laughs> God's diplomat. <laughs> Losing faith. Right, and that's what makes him great. He's the one that questions the faith, and that's what makes his faith strong. That's always the scariest, too. Although he, he ends up being benevolent for the most part. Look at that old CRT box screen right there. Sony, baby. 
<laughs> the perfect synthesis of career and lifestyle. This guy's great. Vampires. <laughs> and we're still getting Matthew McConaughey. Are you anti-science? Not at all. Right. This is a question. Are we happier as a human race? Is the world fundamentally better because science technology? I think the answer to the second question is yes. Uh, however, we haven't always used it the best ways, but in terms of extending people's lives and helping people who couldn't normally be helped if science and technology were used in the right way, yes. However, happier is a whole different issue. And I'm always talking about this. And I'm the most, I'm the most, you know, sciencey guy you'll know. I, I'm always reading up on this shit, astrophysics, cosmology, etc. Totally believe in it. I'm an agnostic, not atheist, but definitely not a believer in any religion. But what, what Matthew McConaughey is saying there, Dr. Joss, buy, where he's talking about buying things, going to fill these holes in our lives. He's connecting science to materialism, which is 100% on point. I mean, I, I'm listening to it now. I was like, wow. I don't know if I got that the first time. She's in heaven just listening. And you have to have her hair. At, you know, who cares? Look at this. I mean, you can't do this. It's Jodie Foster. Straight up on her eyes. You can't do that with very many actors or actresses. She knows exactly what to do. She knows what it'll look like. She doesn't even have to watch the fucking dailies. She knows. Now, the sort of eerie, but, uh, but uh, re- relaxing vibration that becomes the kind of the soundtrack to these discoveries, holy shit, um, is just perfect. It's perfect. Because y- y- you need to not uh, know, you know, the, the, the writers need you to not really know until the end whether this, these aliens are for good or ill. So you do sound cues. 18 hours, 36 minutes, 56.2 seconds. She's talking about uh, angles, obviously, not time. What? It must be Halloween. They still have Matthew McConaughey on. They finally turned him off. And that's the thing. And that's what's great about this movie. It is. It totally romanticizes in a great and realistic way the scientific process. But the final question of whether we're happier because of all this, is left unanswered. (laughs) She just keeps repeating it over and over again. This is great. She's got the convertible. (laughs) Oh, man. I sometimes wonder if convertibles were made for movies, and then people who buy convertibles just want to pretend like they're in movies. Okay, so this code ends up being not binary, I believe. I believe they have to like actually uh, decrypt this entire thing. God, is she a badass. I want you off access on 27 the second we get there. Break out the big boy. <laughs> Here we go. Team goes to work. Right, she wants to be sure. It's exciting. Look at the way they filmed this. In 97, you didn't see, like, science thrillers like this. It didn't exist. So you have to have slightly cartoonish side characters because you just want to jump right in and have fun. Uh Uh-oh, bad drive on 16. That's not a good sign. 
<laughs> when does she stop using the walkie? This will be funny. She probably stays on it all the way till she's in. Boom. Still following her. Single shot. God, this is inspired. This movie is really inspired. I, I, I gotta be honest. I've always kept it to myself. People say something, you know, not nice about it. They're just like, oh, whatever. It's a blah, blah movie. I don't believe that. I think this is a great movie from the 90s. Look at that. Boom. We just had a single camera shot for like two minutes of her running straight to the radars. Amplitude modulated. I don't think that means anything. So, you know, Kip Thorne consulted on Interstellar. Kip Thorne of Caltech astrophysics fame. Got it. This guy's like the pre-Seth Rogen. Seth Rogen. This is... It'd be way better with Seth Rogen. <laughs> Here we go. It sounds scary, though. I remember it. She, make me a liar, fish. Right, they're trying to rule out all the other possibilities. I think they, they, they call Australia at some point. I really remember this movie quite vividly, actually. She kisses the computer. <laughs> This is very exciting for a nerd kid like me, you know. I, I enjoyed watching this a couple times a year as a kid, not going to lie. This is what I wanted to do. In fact, I almost studied at, I won't name the university. Well, okay, I have to kind of name it because it's Carl Sagan. I, I wanted to go to Cornell and was in Cornell and was going to do the, cos, you know, the cosmology astrophysics program. And while I'm really good at math and science, I just couldn't see it as a future and decided not to pursue it. Uh, but... I was not far from being some combination of the redhead with the long hair and the uh, nerdy guy with the glasses. Oh, it stops. Oh, this is great. It starts again. She's, she starts freaking out, I think. It starts again. Yeah, but this is, this is how satellites work when, the, when, the, when, the, when it spins. When the uh, Earth spins. Still holding. Very restrained in this movie. They could have done it way earlier than here. So she walks. She's going to turn it off. Whoa, there it is. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Very Spielbergian. Jaws. It's like the Jaws of satellite uh, reception. <laughs> Two. Oh. Oh, it is base 10. Okay. Oh, right. The big reveal is not just that they're doing base 10 numbers, but that it's in three dimensions. That's ultimately how they solve it, which is brilliant. And what's also brilliant is what they get back, the signal they get back, because it makes total scientific sense. <laughs> this guy. Oh, it's from Vega. That's right. Yeah, I remember now. So they had to find a system that was young, which would rule out the possibility of an accidental signal from a semi-developed planet, I suppose. Photon torpedoes. There's a Star Trek reference. Yeah, baby. Um, but the, the Hitler angle to all this is very unexpected and very effective and, you know, 
and, and creating the exact conflict that you want in a movie like this. Oh, here's the Australia. Yeah, I love this. See, back then, we didn't know that this was happening. Now we know that astrophysicists from dozens and dozens of places around the world on China rays are all communicating to each other 24-7. But in 1997, as a 15-year-old, I didn't really know that was the case. He's here in Vega, too. Ian, Ian, right out. (laughs) So, this is the first big discovery. There's the second big discovery about what the code means. There's the attempted mission. There's the actual mission. And there's the aftermath. And... What I think the Martian took from this movie, but went further, was say, okay, we have to make this relatable to individual people. And the only way we're going to do that is by stranding someone on another planet and trying to survive, because we've seen survival radio shows, um, TV shows, you know, we've maybe been in survivalist type situations ourselves. It's the primal urge. This is sending to another part of the universe that no one could possibly imagine. And Matthew McConaughey, as a sort of liberal, but uh, <laughs> uh, he's such a dick. Um, <laughs> This guy is is cocky and careless all the way to the end. Why don't they just speak English? Right, only thirty percent of our of our world speaks English. Okay, so they're using prime numbers, not single digits only. James Woods, who I become a lifelong fan of this movie. That's the thing. The the main like four, five, six dramatic performers in this movie, I love their performance so much that uh, I I'm I'm naturally inclined to you know, enjoy them. Even the guy here that's playing Drublet, who's such a douchebag, uh, Tom Skerritt. <laughs> National Security Advisor. Yeah. <laughs> civilian facility guys with guns yep this is great yeah and this this is marvel superhero thing this is the marvel superhero response to alien invasion even though the avengers win it they still send in troops uh, and this is her true friend yeah yeah everyone's trying really hard you know i mean yeah, and, and you know it, it is interesting that she's getting it from the religious side way more subtly and then she's getting it from the governmental side it makes total sense you want to classify prime numbers right and this is important about Drumlin is that he is actually really interested in this he just has a much different long view than Ellie about where this will and should lead to They've got the primes. Yeah, I mean, numerically, numerically, it would be completely improbable uh, 
to only send prime numbers. Yeah, oh, this. I guess that's the thing with the blind guy is we think of telescopes as looking, but really it's listening, and he's got the best ears of the business, you know. That's awesome. That's great. I have to reread the book. You know, the main standout is that the whole world is involved in the book and that they send five people total so they can verify one another's experience. And uh, this movie actually takes a harder tack uh, narratively and doesn't leave us with much resolution, which I think left some average American viewers cold. Um, average American viewers, but she's seeing it. Okay, so... But for me, it le- it left me wanting more, and uh, reading of Carl Sagan was a big part of that, as was Kip Thorne, who I mentioned earlier, another hero of mine, intellectually. I think it's audio. Okay, so here it is. So the, and this is true, the very first signal ever sent from Earth into deep space was by the Nazis. It was a Hitler speech. This is completely true, as far as I know. I love the uh, the late '90s Windows interface. They should have been using Max. James Woods. He he's so lovably evil in this movie. I mean, he's really not evil in terms of wishing harm on other people. He actually thinks he's protecting people. But yeah, this you know, this fetishizes the discoveries. In The Martian, the discoveries was, okay, one discovery, on to the next. Well, like, like Matt Damon says, you know, one problem, next problem, next problem, next problem, etc. That's how you get through it. These are huge, major, dramatic, confusing discoveries. Oh, there's Hitler. Okay. Right. Yeah, you know, James Woods is automatic assumption that this is threatening hostilities from deep space is insane. So, you know, to that extent, you're with Ellie. I declare the games in Berlin. Oh, it was the Berlin Games in 1936. Celebration of the first Olympics of the new era has opened, says Hitler. Uh Uh-oh. You know, but 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 for the scientists to be disarmed by this is interesting, you know, because it has such a powerful effect when we see Hitler, and if it's sent back to us, oh man, uh, Viola Davis, goddamn, does she look good here? Jesus Christ, I love Viola Davis in this role as the the, the chief of staff to the president. This is fantastic. She's taking names. She, she, you know, she take any of these people down. Jodie Foster is playing totally shy. Viola Davis is like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> the people are in good hands, Dr. Arroway. Oh, man. Classic. Yeah. I'm sorry, I said Viola Davis. Angela Bassett. Excuse me. I don't know what I was thinking. Oh, right. They work Clinton into this. Just like in Forrest Gump. Zemeckis loves doing this. I think it's really interesting. <laughs> Bubba. <laughs> I can't believe Clinton got away with all this. Yeah, Angela Bassett is awesome. She's such a fucking badass. And this movie has no color. Look, I mean, there's a, there's a Mike guy back there. There's Angela Bassett. There's a black guy sort of further in the back with a camera. That's it. Yeah. 
I don't know why they couldn't work in even a token black character. Although I sometimes wonder, is it better to work in a token black character because it's a token black character, or just not even bother? Because it's insulting either way. Oh, uh, this has structure. I'm hearing structure. God, is he good. William Fitchner. The blind guy with the divine ears. Yeah, I I, I researched at one point which speech this was taken from. It, it couldn't have been that far, you know. If they were filming and making this in 96 to release in 97, Clinton had just finished his first term. Answers and for knowledge, as old as humanity itself. It's definitely a space speech that they stole from. Um, Angela Bassett takes over. That's great. Oh, Ellie has questions. Or at least... Oh, is this... I remember this. Ellie thinks she's the one that's going to speak to the media, and Drumlin ends up being the one that speaks. I, I believe is what happens here. There's a lot of sexism stuff throughout this entire movie, intentionally, which is great. It deals with the subtle ways that women are pushed aside. You know, smarter and more capable women pushed aside by older and more senior. Um, yep, here he is. I can't believe I remember this. Yeah, older and supposedly more experienced men. You know, I, I just... I just grew up with the, this generation, you know, where we just are horrified when women are not treated equally to men. Um, and in places where the women are superior to the men, they should be the one doing the talking, especially with Angela Bassett introducing it. Um, okay, we got a pager beep, though, so maybe it was good she wasn't speaking. They found another single. Uh, it, was this, it was this Fitchner found, oh, he heard some structure in the... Uh, Structure in the signal. Right, Kent, there he is. 50 frames per second. Are you ready? We're all ready. <laughs> Look at the video conferencing for 97. That's awesome. Right, it's digital. <laughs> no one would ever... Of course it's digital. What else could it possibly be? It can't be analog. I love how they move it. There's two huge traumas. One is the Hitler revelation. Two is Drumlin, you know, speaking when Ellie should be speaking. They get right to it, boom. It's like some Stargate shit right here. Uh, you know, the the Stargate idea of not having to go high-tech to travel to other planets, in the sense of being as high-tech as they are, what does it mean, Doctor? It's fascinating. I gotta do more research on that. Encyclopedia Galactica. <laughs> Their colonization procedures. Moses with new commandments, says Drumlin. He's great. He's great. Because the, the thing is, Drummond ends up being the one to go, and, and from an objective standpoint, he is the best one to go. Ellie's so emotionally affected by her own trip, um, it's rendered very ineffectual. At least in, in the short term. Eminent domain, James Woods is pushing for martial law, militarize the project. 
Yeah. This is it. This is sexism right here. All right. Bassett says calm down. Right. 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 So she's, so Ellie's directing operations and Drumlin's overseeing it. That's how it should happen, you know, according to the system. The president can decide. <laughs> yeah, look how unhappy Jodie Foster is there. God, she's good. She just grows on you. In any movie you see her in, she just grows on you. The only one that was just so horrible I could barely watch was the Matt Damon uh, science fiction one. What was that called? Elysium. By the guy who did District 9. Oh, God. Oh, God, Jay Leno. Man, I really feel old. <laughs> so this is great so you think there's only going to be one religious uh theme you know through dr joss uh played by matthew mcconaughey all right here's the religious overtones you think that mcconaughey is going to be the only religious element but nope we get real religious extremist fundamentalists rob lowe <laughs> Playing a super conservative preacher. <laughs> this is a great the montage of TV signals. They got so many people to buy into this. This is the Mechas and Spielberg. They barely made back their uh, their money on this movie domestically. Yeah, and this is exactly what would happen. This is exactly what would happen, is a bunch of fucking crazy spiritualists and other freakazoids would, you know, would flock to it as if some message and uh, benediction from God. Now, what's cool is they make most of them just weirdo hippies, like these people, which is great. They're totally not out to hurt anyone, and I think that's important. It wasn't a giant militant movement. It just happened to be a few terrorists. Jenny Foster is horrified, but, you know, she's kind of hypocritical. She doesn't acknowledge it, Jody Foster, because, you know, this is her. It, it's just professionalized and, you know, acting the way she should, but she's also trying to get some, like, weird, you know, a spiritual benefit or something out of this even though she doesn't realize that and, and that's what's brilliant oh hitler lives okay so there that's a mr x so you think they're the really bad ones she looks at all of them they have to come up with a whole bunch of different like subculture groups which is great here it comes all right you got hey. <laughs> a bunch of chubby women dancing elvis okay you know he is harmless <laughs> viva las Vegas. <laughs> this is great. Hell to Vega. Hell to Vega. This is it. And this is the guy. This is it. You know. Eh. Rink of destruction. You can already tell this is the evil guy, and then he looks right at her. Yeah. This is brilliantly um choreographed in my not so humble opinion. And so this is not Gary Busey, although you might think it is. It's Jake Busey, who I think is his son. Um, yeah, he's the son of, of Gary Busey. He's, uh, 
Man, do they get a lot of news feeds. Jesus, they called in favors. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, Mr. Jake Busey would have been in his uh, late 20s at this point, interestingly enough, even though he looks like a scary old man. You know, and they know just when to slow it down. This is really the last calm before the storm. You don't realize that at the time. Um, at the time. But you look back now, and again, having not seen this movie in like 15 plus years, this is it. Take me to your leader. Oh, is this one her uh, benefactor played by John Hurt, who doesn't look like John Hurt? Uh, decides to give her money. Oh, here it is. He's got the designs. What the? Somebody broke in. That's like Matrix stuff. I love this. This is awesome. This presaged the Matrix a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and then the fax comes. This is great. Yeah. This is so Neo. Beginning of the Matrix. <laughs> Thomas Anderson. The Big Brother stuff. The and this is the Martian connection. Even though this guy's a private corporation, whereas the Martian it, it sort of uh, lionizes or you know kind of uh, paints in a very uh, positive light uh, American government, the Chinese government to a lesser extent. Uh, this is a private corporation. Um, however, the sort of progressive humanistic, people-centric, uh, big brother, the eye in the sky that really wants to help, is very much in the Martian uh, genre of uh, political utopianism, I suppose you would say. Right, you get the cameras that he's seen from. It's great. I love this. God, do I love this scene. There's like three or four scenes that, you know, completely make the movie as solid as it is throughout. Um, obviously, Father at the End is the most important, but I think this is the second most important. Because you think all hope is lost. You think you're never going to learn about her benefactor. God, does that not look like John Hurt? <laughs> Mr. Haddad. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing we're meant to realize. Uh, he's been watching her before she gave that presentation at his office. Oh, he's got the full video, her baby pictures, the whole thing. This is creepy. Wisconsin. Uh, her mom died during childbirth. Yeah, that's convenient. High predisposition towards science and mathematics. <laughs> I can't get over the Jenna Malone thing. I'm sorry. It's okay. Look at her. Again, they're working in so much Jenna Malone. It's crazy. 1974. Right. So we're, who? So she graduated high school two years early. Her dad had died years before. Full scholarship, MIT, magna cum laude, blah, 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 blah. 
Okay, where did they get this young woman? Okay, well, now we're at Foss, Jody Foster, but where did they get that young woman for the college photograph? Again, this is so an exposition we do not require, but because of this actor and the way they do the video montage and the way that it's actually her personal history that he's more or, or at least as much concerned with as her scientific history is really, really refreshing. You compromised our security codes. <laughs> Here comes the story. Welcome in my home. You live here? So this is the extreme version of putting your money overseas, as with the Panama Papers, which is happening as of this recording. O overseas investments. Why don't you just fly yourself you know, over international waters? Thanks him straight up for bailing her out. He doesn't see it that way. I know a good bet, exactly. He wouldn't have done it for a bailout. He believed in it and believed in her. What am I doing here? There's almost a video game feel to this movie. Like the best video game narratives. You know, where you follow a character and you meet a bunch of other interesting characters. And, you know, this is the five minute long you know, blessing of a demigod. So he blesses her with solving this project and building the machine. And then I think he ends up blessing her for the second one after the first one's blowed up. Which, by the way, pre-9-11, I mean, there had been some terrorist attacks in this country in 90s, by 97, but was very revolutionary in a way that I don't think it's appreciated. Because it's rooted in a character we don't see much, Joseph, played by, by Junior Busey, um, but is based on very real feeling in this country, uh, for better or worse, in the U.S., about the dangers of science and what it's doing in terms of moral corruption. Joss, played by Matthew McConaughey, is asking the opposite question, which is, I don't believe science is morally corrupt, but is it actually making us happy? He's asking the positivist question. He, he's saying, is this making us happy, even if I believe in it? Oh, uh, he found the primer. Clever girl. It's, I guess it's got to be a Jurassic Park reference. Uh, anytime you hear clever girl. Lights. Looks like I'm Pam Beasley there for a second. So, interesting that he figured it out. They say that he was a, you know, a genius engineer before he was a businessman, I suppose. Alright, how did they not figure this out? Who cares? But this is what's great. If he just gave her money, that's one thing. But he's now giving her serious, serious knowledge and discovery. Multiple dimensions. He figured it out himself. Yeah, she's still smarter than him overall. Boom! Oh. It's a cube. Where's the primer? He's enjoying the slow reveal of its art. The Prima. 
it really minimizes Ellie's intelligence and effort that he was able to figure this out. Now that I watch this, actually, it, you know, you could have had him discover the location of the primer, as he says, the primer. Um, he could have right these basic rules. He could have discovered, and she could have made the breakthrough. But the fact that she passes it on to the U.S. government so quickly shows that she might be the only other one in the world that can understand it other than that guy. Boom. God, is this thing beautiful. You're just awaiting the whole movie as great as it is for for the wormhole machine to be built. Right. Right. building something okay so building instructions once you merge the codes or you know or languages would be something that all civilizations you think would understand she says this could be a communication device a teaching machine okay so how did she figure out that it's a transport no proof of that <laughs> yeah, if anyone knows she does the Trojan hearts right it said the entire vegan army but it's about like vegan <laughs> imagine an army of vegans uh, it'd be so effective yeah I mean she says there's no reason to think their intentions are hostile but you have to admit there's no reason to think they aren't hostile which is true exactly what does what does the Earth have that a super advanced civilization? What she's not considering is a civilization that is advanced over ours, but not by thousands of years. Oh, here we go. <laughs> Here's the Roblo. I can't believe Roblo's with this movie. Morally ambiguous at best. He he's great. He he's nailing the '90s preacher, even though we won't even admit it today. How true this is. <laughs> Excuse me, miss. Right. Uh, yeah, there's the sexism. We don't know their values or they believe in God. Yeah. yeah. Uh-oh. Angela Bassett putting the smack down <laughs> on airway. What I meant to say. Right, it's written in science. If it had been religious in nature, right, Bernie Bush. She's wrong about this. Right. <laughs> Voice of this guy. He's loving this. This is such a great relationship. This is my favorite Matthew McConaughey role up until recently. <laughs> yeah, he's late. They all love him. Who cares? It's weird that they'd have multiple preachers at the table, uh, but I guess that's America in 1997. A common ground. And this is great. Breakthrough obstacles. He's talking to her personally as well as professionally. No one else at the table knows that. She can't believe he's there again. Flowery New Age rhetoric. Exactly. God, is he in love with her? McConaughey totally says that. <laughs> right. Jody Foster, the top advisors. Yeah, look at Drum- I mean, Drumlet. <laughs> James Woods right next to Clinton. That's hilarious. Zemeckis knew how to do that. That was his thing. He wanted to make it so relevant. Yeah, maybe that's where it... 
rang hollow a little bit, I suppose. The spiritual pose of the nation. I really remember this exchange. Good to see you. Yeah. They're such a great couple. You would never think to put Jodie Foster and Matthew McConaughey together, but in 1997, he's exactly the jolt of uh, untraditional life uh, th- that she needs. Oh, he's, oh, he advises to uh, Clinton. That's, uh, he would think that actually makes sense. He's a liberal preacher. He's a liberal preacher. Let's just say it. He believes in God. He's evangelical, but he's liberal. He's socially liberal. He believes in bringing people together. I mean, you can just tell. He, as Clinton, who's someone supposedly religious from Arkansas, you'd think would, uh, would make sense. <laughs> Miss Constantine. A little, a little a lady moment. Oh, yeah, she needs a dress for the ball. I totally forgot about this. This is so great. Because not only do they let Jodie Foster just look straight up stunning, which she's already looked the whole movie, but now it's like, oh, man, look at that hair. You know, science is not our god. Yeah. Yeah, the movie. The, oh, here's here's Busey. God, is he scary. He's sort of more scary than his dad at this point because he's so young. Look at them. They make eye contact again. Her hair. I mean, this looks like a production of, you know, Cinderella or something like that. He's still making eye contact. Yeah, they really sold it. They really sold it. But, but what I like is even though you're expecting, a, you know, that guy to do something super evil, even if you guess that it's a bomb uh, uh, when they're trying to launch the wormhole machine, um, but... <laughs> execution wise is so brilliantly done and we'll be there soon uh that it doesn't even matter you know and that's what makes movies rewatchable it doesn't matter if it's telegraphed or not as long as it's executed well you just never want to stop watching it so we, okay so you get to have matthew mcconaughey's hair combed back so he looks like i don't know what he looks like he looks like he's from the 50s, I suppose, with that part. And what I like is they they never stop busting each other's balls. Like, that's the part of the attraction, right? Like, she's ripping into God in the middle of this party. She could give two... Yeah, that's why I identified with her. This is me when I'm in these sort of social situations. I just want to talk about something deep with someone interesting. That's really all I care about. And that's what she's trying to do, too. She doesn't have time. Looks like a queen or a princess. Oh, here's Occam's Razor. And he uses this against her at the end of the movie. Not to hurt her, but to prove his point. <laughs> Matthew McConaughey getting, getting naked. Oh, giving her the coat. Thank you. Yeah. Girls claim that they don't believe in this stuff anymore, but that's bullshit. Yeah. If a girl tries to act like she doesn't want you to hold the door, give her a coat. Don't listen to her. (laughs) Right, so we wouldn't feel so small and alone. That's her big fear. And it's partially because of her scientific and philosophical beliefs and partly because of the trauma she went through as a child of not having a mom and then losing her dad when she was a kid. I'd need proof. Exactly. This entire, I mean, this is it. This This is the bookmark. Everything she's so self-righteously proclaiming here, he brings up uh, against her when she's describing her experience. 
and she can only describe it as a religious experience, even though she won't use those words. It's amazing for a, for a Hollywood movie to tackle this. Yeah, oh, she lost her nerve there. Yeah. She's so taken by, obviously, his great looks and charm, but also his belief, because she believes strongly, too. You were right all along. What? What'd they find? Oh, they're looking at the party. This is great. They're all dressed up. Right, they figured it out while she was at the party. What a bunch of assholes. <laughs> Although I guess it makes it look good. It makes her look good with everyone around. Emergency meeting. Yeah, you know, I mean, the whole movie is a little awkward, but... You got this shot right here. I don't know. Just holding on Jodie Foster. I mean, this includes Jenna Malone earlier on. Like, the two Ellie's. Girl Ellie and this Ellie. They just hold the camera on. Hold, 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 hold. Oh, here's Angela Bassett in charge again. Gotta love it. <laughs> They're gonna build it. Presence gone international. Spread the risk. Construction cost. Yeah, it's complicated. He gets to have a say, I believe. Right, you're at the top of a very short list. Formal selection committee. She knows. You're on it. I've been asked. And what's great is she sees this as a huge advantage. What you don't understand, Ellie, is... Oh, I understand. Whatever happens, this is totally like, I'm going to beat you by 40 points today on the basketball court, but whatever happens, good luck to you. <laughs> yeah. Thing is, he, he he's like the James Bond of douchiness. <laughs> you know, that guy looks like he could be in whiskey commercials. <laughs> he just resigned. All right. Here's the thing. Drumlin's too old. It makes no sense that he would go. Um, she's way more physically fit. She's in like her mid to late 30s here, I think. Uh, you know, but because of their quote-unquote chemistry uh, as adversaries, but who respect each other, um, they had to do it. You had to have that. You had to have that conflict. Which only made it sweeter when she f does finally get to go. Okay, so they had five people there. So the five people who are being interviewed represent the five people who, in fact, go in the book. I don't think that's a coincidence. <laughs> Angela... Uh-oh, campaign contributions talk. Okay, it's a science fiction movie. <laughs> uh, lucrative contracts, bringing your name in and out. <laughs> Larry King, how, how are you going to represent humanity? Elliot it is not a microphone person. She's going to be too truthful and too honest 
and that's going to ultimately disqualify her by her lover, M.M. <laughs> Here's Gumpel ripping into her. There is every indication that this is simply beyond our capabilities, that this endeavor will fail, and that the machine's occupant will pay for that failure with their life. <laughs> Right. Well, she does acknowledge they could just be a couple hundred years ahead of them. That would be the uh, militarist. I mean, look, look, 200 years from now, let's say we've advanced spaceship technology, but we're running out of resources on Earth. Won't we look for, you know, more vulnerable uh, resource, you know, vulnerable resource-rich civilization, whether they were slightly primitive to us or very primitive to us won't we try and find them and steal their stuff i hope that's not the case but that's what i would see happening all right and so they have to slowly remove the five cannon dents I, the son said i didn't want him to go <laughs> how did you get there so there's three americans at least that, that were on the five i didn't see closely Right, so Ellie's the front runner, and then she's gonna go. Oh God, this DC stuff is fantastic with them out in the park, and then inside and in the hearings. Fraternizing with the enemy, she thinks she's got it locked up. She's totally cocky. Uh oh, he wants to talk about Einstein. Right, special relativity. Right. If you come back, she's already prepared to never come back. She's so removed from humanity, you know. And he sees that in her, and that's why he doesn't think she's a good selectee, and that's what's brilliant. It's not just that she doesn't believe in God. That's what he says. But he doesn't actually believe that she's a good representative of humanity. And she does, he doesn't want her to die, and that's a big part of it. Palmer. Right, why? Exactly. Yeah. Right, you personally, why? He doesn't want her to go. Yep, willing to die. Why? That's what the that's what the, the spiritual and religious folk always have over everybody else is the question of why. Right, I've been searching for something, some reason we're here. What are we doing here? Who are we? This is a chance to find out even a little part of that answer. I think it's worth a human life, including her own. Yeah, she, she that's the thing. She loves humanity, but she's totally out of touch with individual hum, humans. I think I knew this was going down the first time I saw this in the theater, but again, I was like 15. Incredibly nuts. <laughs> oh no, they're going to kiss. Then he's going to backstab her in front of Congress. <laughs> she must have loved kissing him. Mm-mm-mm. <laughs> all right, all right, all right.
Oh, that's interesting. <coughs> it's so funny to see vegans on the subtitles. Um, vegans, excuse me. That was an interesting line there about being confused. I totally forgot that. And that just reinforces what I, I think reinforces what I was saying and what Matthew McConaughey is already thinking, which is that while she's brave and brilliant and strong, she's not entirely stable. Um, and that turns out to be the case. She's emotionally swayed in a supposedly scientific journey. Your candor and your stamina. Up <laughs> oh, here we go. Yes, Mr. Joss. Here we go. He's sabotaging her. You know, and on first glance, it looks like he's just pulling the, the religious card out. He doesn't want to go. Right, I a moral person. We can talk about whether there can be morals without religions. Do you believe in God? This is what's so great. In 97, you have a liberal preacher who actually doesn't care if she believes in gods, um, if she believes in God, completely derailing her with the God question because of his personal feelings towards her. That's brilliant. That is brilliant in 1997 America. You know, the, the, the average watcher, depending what they're looking for, whether they hate religion or, you know, love religion on the ex two extremes would look at this and say, Oh man, it's just a preacher taking down a scientist, but look at his regret, his feeling, McConaughey has gotten way more intricate and subtle as he's gotten older, no doubt. But he sells, like I said, the the, uh, the the previous scene on the mall by the water, and here he just sabotaged her. He killed her. He killed her with the God question. He knew what the answer was going to be. He knew what the answer was going to be. And she, oh God, Zemeckis uh, gets huge props for just letting scenes breathe and having silences, awkward, poignant introspective um, <laughs> introspective silences here is Drumlin and as a civilization I would hate to see everything we stand for I'm going to talk like Bane with him fought for thousand generations all that God has blessed us with betrayed yeah. and, and, and you know, it was great and what I even got as that age, I think, when I saw this, was that he was not asked that question on screen. And he easily could believe in God as little or even less than she does. But he's going to give the answer they're looking for. She can't lie. Uh-oh, does he come? Yeah, I don't even know why she's talking to him, honestly. <laughs> she doesn't know either. Why'd you do it? All right. He's putting it on the selection committee. 
Yeah, he still says it's a god thing. He doesn't even believe that. She knows it, I think. This is, you know, of course, an Occam's Razor question, which is, is it more reasonable to think that 5% of the world in believing not in God are the more rational, or that the other 95% of the world from every corner who do say they believe in God are a higher power? Are they the crazy ones? Occam's Razor would say the 5% are. He's right about this. Yes. Yes. Oh, this is yeah, the exchange of... Uh, Oh, the compass. Oh, oh, right, but he gives her the compass back. It's such a critical point. Yes. Cold shoulder, courtesy of Jody Foster. Yeah, she just, she she's so girlish and so womanly at the same time. It's really bizarre. She, You know, she's completely vital. Okay, so I, I got to think back on other movies. But in terms of how this is filmed and how this is framed in terms of cinematography, photography, this is the first super real modern post 9-11 style terrorist attack in a movie, I think. And it's not Muslims, which is stupid anyways, because there are a lot of terrorists in this world who aren't Muslims, Jewish, Christian, and otherwise. Um... But because of how they built up the antagonism to science. There it is. God, it's beautiful. You know? I mean, you'd think with me growing up watching Star Wars, Star Trek, all the spaceships in the sky. You know, in Star Trek Deep Space Nine, the wormhole is a central part of the whole thing. And uh, that's why the base is there. And they fly ships through it and ships come back. The idea of creating the wormhole a mini wormhole on earth makes so much more sense for this kind of situation and interstellar we have to believe that our our world is coming apart and we're almost starving in the near future but we somehow have the technology to send spaceships and so forth you know past saturn to go to a wormhole with our technology level this is a little bit of a reach but it's not a lot of a reach and that's the whole point of the instructions is they tell us the stuff that we don't know how to do this probably resulted in a fusion reactor. There was no reason to bring that into the movie because then you bring up nuclear reactors. You don't want to talk about that. Lovingly called Elmer. Look at him. Oh my God. Genial. Disingenuous. But why would you send this old guy? It doesn't make sense. Congratulations, David. And, uh, you know, it's great because you kill a guy that you just totally despise. uh, But because of the reason and mechanism, it's horrifying. Right? I have some PR value. Yeah. Yeah. She's a celebrity now. She finished second. She almost finished first. She discovered this whole thing. It's it's great to think that we could have celebrities like Ellie Arroway. I wish the world were the place was fair was the bottom line. The kind of idealism you showed at the hearing was rewarded, not taken advantage of. <laughs> Unfortunately, we don't live in that world. He's like, yeah, fuck your idealism. My cynicism won. Boom. World is what we make of it. 
Exactly. Spoken like a true progressive young woman instead of this old, crusty, conservative white guy. Good luck. Oh, I forget this is the test. That's way cooler that this is the test because then we get the full real one later in Japan. Um, oh, right. Japan pulled out um, for, for a deal. I never made that connection. They did that in the news feed a little while ago. Japan pulled out of the competition because they got some deal with, uh, you know, rich guy, uh, eye in the sky, uh, John Hurt. Um, Who play John Hurt? Who plays Haddon, the rich man? Somehow, I, I'm looking at his photo. I can't make his work in my in my mind. This is great, and what's great is not only do we get to do this twice, but this allows us to be inside NASA or whatever inside the space agency. And get it from Ellie's perspective, from the computers and the the radio feeds and so forth. And then the second one, we get to see it from Ellie's perspective, scared out of her mind, try to hold on to the extent that she can. Got the swelling music. It's looking like the big experiment. She's jealous, but at this point, she's just excited to see if it works. And uh, the other cool reason for, for blowing it up during the test is that we still have no evidence whether it works or not. Uh, and so it's a complete crapshoot the second time when they try and do it with, with Ellie in, in Japan or wherever it is. Yeah. She's proud. You had to... Uh... Yeah. You had, you had to go through the motions on this. Um... I knew that that religious guy was going to be trouble. This seemed like prime territory. Um, again, though, the execution of the terrorist attack is is what's so horrifying. It's funny to see the you know professional uh, professional ladies in the late nineties with all the Hillary Clinton outfits and so forth. <laughs> More media stuff. Yeah, they're not even going to dip them down into it. It's so cool. The three spinning rings. It makes total sense from just from a sci-fi nerd aesthetic standpoint. All right, they drop the bot in. It's it's creating, um, you know, faster than light uh, properties. Rips a hole into space time. And boom. Actually, it makes way more sense. You can control the wormhole. You're creating the wormhole rather than like a quote-unquote wild wormhole. <laughs> uh, although it seems like a wild wormhole in Interstellar. We're going to see that shot later, I think. The far shot where it blows up with the people on the grass. But, uh, you know, that a super advanced civilization would be able to create transport-related wormholes and not have to rely on the uh, randomness of the cosmos. This is gripping. This is really gripping every single time. And, you know, if you like the movie and you see it multiple times, it remains gripping throughout. And we'll see that glass screen. One of the, you know, very firefly uh, y shot of moving debris. 
Oh, is that the guy from uh, Matrix Revolutions? Yeah, that's definitely a guy from Matrix Revolutions. That's Captain Mifune. Oh, wow. Overcooked ham. Right, they're making fun of of uh, this scene. This is great world building. Everyone actually, who's oh, there's the guy. Everyone that's actually doing stuff. Oh, her face drops. Loves Ellie and thinks the other guy's a douchebag too. You know, they're making fun of him in the in the uh, in the office there. I always want to call this studio. Being from the entertainment business, Captain Mufuni. Zion. Oh, but he's going to hear it in his ear that they're saying shut it down. Oh, and they have her talk to Drumlin. Oh, no. And that's what makes her a good person. She truly does not want her enemy to die here. Or her uh, her opposition. What is she doing with the camera there? He's got something in his hand. Oh, he's praying to God. Oh, he sees him, runs at him, and you think you got a doubt. Security, you see the explosion, explosives. He, oh, he's crazy, hits the button, boom. Oh, oh, oh shit. For 97, that looks great. I'm thrilled with how that looks. It looks awesome. Look at the terrorist attack taking out an alien signal. Gonna bring us advanced technology and new civilizations. We were fucking Christian fundamentalists. Take the whole thing down. Watch, here comes... Right, okay, I was saying, those are the people running away. They got all the dust and debris going up against the uh, control center here. And it's just dust and ashes. Yeah, they could have all gotten killed. That was quite an explosion. Of course, we have to assume that, you know, A, there could have been more bombs around, but B, the, the machine was so advanced that it would, you would think, as happened, enhance the explosion and make it even more dramatic and, you know, and just crazy. 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 To quote uh, Aziz Ansari. Thus passes David Drumlin. From this world to the next. Poor bastard. Despite his hubris, didn't deserve that. That's for sure. But he ends up saving Ellie. You know? (laughs) Another, uh... You know. Another thing that just seemed to to, to work out for Ellie. It's hard to see it that way right now. Oh, oh, here's Jake Busey looking very... Terrifying. <laughs> Won't be understood now, but the apocalypse to come will vindicate our faith. All right, faith is the key here. And if if this if this movie gets anything wrong, it's the conflation of faith and belief. But I don't hold it against it because you get that constantly with movies trying to deal with with religion on one level or another. So this is Drumlin's dead. The project's over. Welcome home. Does he give her like a hug? She turns it off. Look at him. God, is he good. This is like the... So I think Jodie Foster is gay in real life. 
Um, and so it's great that she has a love affair with Matthew McConaughey, but it's great that she has a completely non-sexual male best friend who's completely different than her and blind, also brilliant and loves her and she loves them. In his mind, he only knows her via sound. That's what this movie is all about. That's why it's brilliant to have a, a blind character. Uh-oh. Oh, the mirror. The Russian bear. Ben, this takes me back. Here we go. <laughs> oh, I love it. At first, she's talking to the uh, the cosmonauts, the Russians. They see that she dialed in. It's like, what? Comrade the arrow away. <laughs> He has been expecting your call. So, yes. So, you got John Hurt, who looks Asian. He's working with the Russians. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Mr. Haddon. Yep. A guardian angel. Yeah. What well, we wish the richest person in the world had these sorts of priorities, in my opinion. Rush Cameron was kind enough to give me accommodations on Mir. Oh, he hadn't been living in space yet. I forgot that. Yeah, it's quite simple. Low oxygen, zero gravity environment. Only thing keeping the cancer from eating me alive. So he's dying of cancer. He's so he's living up in space. Oh, she gets the view from space. See, this is great. Because the one thing, yeah, that looks a little bizarre. This <laughs> They must have them on strings. It doesn't look very good moving around this space. It's not the Martian or Interstellar. Um, there it is. There's the island. It was Japan. Yeah. Oh, the integration systems, right, from the news. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. They've thought of everything. Boom. First rule in government spending. This is great. It's so true. <laughs> right? Why one we give two at twice the price? Ooh, secret. God, that does not <laughs> like John Hurt. He's explaining it. She's already five steps ahead. She knows what this means. Yep. He, he did it all through. Yep. I had an industry all through corporations and, and deals and stuff. Uh huh. They want her. That's what's great. But he want to take a ride. <laughs> it's so good. Um, you know, he says they still want an American to go. I think he's saying playfully, "I did this for you. You're going." You know, and say, no, no, they want an American. Uh-oh, we got a hover plane in 97 looking like a hunter killer mixed with a Quinjet. Wow, that looks pretty good. Again, l- watching on my computer screen, hard to tell small texture issues, but th- th- that looks pretty solid for 1987. No wonder this movie was somewhat more expensive than I was expecting when I looked it up. Um, but what's great about this is... We saw the first one that was just in the middle of a giant field, basically, or maybe it was on Cape Canaveral or something like that. That's expensive enough. But this, they had to build on the water, in rocky waters, you know, sitting in the water, I believe, with uh, giant 
you know, rocky, rocky islands and escarpments and, and, you know, things sticking up. All, I mean, this is so expensive to build something like this. Oh, th- this is an interesting uh, notion. They're, yeah, they're forcing the chair. And the chair almost kills her. She's right. There's not supposed to be a chair. Yeah. Right, they need some psychological comforting that somehow she'll be safer sitting in a chair while hurtling through space-time. She has to give in to it. She ends up being right. Luckily, she gets out of the chair just in time not to die. Oh, shit, the cyanide. I totally forgot about this. Right, never been made public. And this is what's great about... Uh, there's so many things that are great about the fact that there's two and that the second one's secret and it's her in Japan is you get all this, like, backroom government shit. You know, we, we, see, we see all the Big Brother stuff on the government side. It's not quite as touchy-feely as, as Mr. Haddon. This is a great line. There are a million... There are a thousand reasons we can think of... For, for you to have this with you, but mostly it's for the ones that we can't think of. Essentially, you know, like the greatest horrors are so far beyond what we can even imagine. And you know, the, she seems to be the kind of person that would never take it. Um, but they leave it sort of uh, open there. You know, it's kind of nice little little thing to think about. Oh, is this? Time to get ready. (laughs) Boyfriend's back in town. Yeah. Yeah. I came with kids. Who's kids? I had to see you one more time. She's not mad. He saved her life, you know, unintentionally, obviously, by getting her disqualified from the original. Yeah, he's going to admit the reason. She has to know this. I don't want to lose you. I totally buy it. I totally buy that romance. I think their chemistry is great. I could totally see how you could say it's bad or just mediocre. I love it. It totally makes sense that these two personalities would be attracted to one another, I think. You know. Um, you know I'm Jewish. N- not really religious. But there's a joke among us secular Jewish boys about, you know, being attracted to, to, to religious uh, religious girls. Uh, I don't necessarily subscribe to it. I don't really care one way, one way or the other, but it's... Uh, yeah, that's the opposites attract thing. They're, right, they're the ultimate opposites attract. <laughs> I wonder how long they had to shoot uh, Angela Bassett looking unhappy and uncomfortable. Boom, I love this. Because from here on out, it's pure sci-fi. That's what's brilliant about this movie. Because the way they framed the first one, where we were in the control center, and we were just seeing you know Drumlin through a video camera, and then it blew up. It was all external. We didn't really get to it. But look at her. She's wearing like a, you know, an X-Men kind of space suit there. Um, or uh, I should say... Uh, you know, like fighting suit, combat suit. She's got two Japanese guns behind her with these really hilarious hats. I don't know where they thought that was a good idea. But you got the red and the silver and the black with the chair. You know, I mean, I think her suit's designed to merge with the chair. They're not running tests on this one, baby. 
and this is so brilliant not only is this like the coolest secret location device ever okay you can sort of tell that the screen screen there that's cool though this is 97 and the dynamic shooting's making it work for me but it's right over really stormy dark waters it's just it's just visually so enticing but a little scary which is what you want for this situation and here it is. So this movie is known. I think pretty. I think that it's known. That's uh, attributed uh, that there's like you know at least ten to fifteen, if not twenty minutes of just pure silence, uh, or, or I should say lack of dialogue of any kind, while she's hurtling through the various stages of the wormhole. And there's a lot of reasons this is the coolest wormhole. One, the chair is perfect, but you realize it's not even supposed to be there. It's just supposed to be her in the pod, okay? So you got a pod going through a wormhole. It has numerous stages. You're plugging her in. You know, the numerous stage wormhole is such a great concept. It totally makes sense. It's like she has to get, you know, rerouted through, like, multiple airports. Yeah, those little devices are, uh... Um... <laughs> that was clearly not Jodie Foster. Uh... Oh, yeah, this is great. I love this design. This, I don't know why they don't use this more um, in science fiction properties. You know, I, I get you'd make the camera smaller a little bit these days, but you could justify a big camera on the head like that for so many reasons. A, durability. B, there's numerous cameras. You know, you have a backup camera just in case. Um, it's super powerful. It has like a 300x zoom. I mean, there's so many reasons you could justify it. And in 2016, you know, her suit is a little goofy, even by the standards of the movie, which has really tripped across no sci-fi tropes from an aesthetic standpoint up to now. But the whole idea of the pod and that we keep getting to see it from far distance. <laughs> there's Captain Mifune. We get to see, uh, uh, Joss, uh, Matthew McConaughey in plain clothes, always fun, you know. It's like seeing Captain America in, in his sweats. Oh, uh, here's uh, Fitchner, whatever his name is. I'm go here. Yeah, very Martian, or I should say Martian, very contacting. Fitchner. Hold on, let me get your chair. <laughs> Nice to smell you again. <laughs> when I'm peg him as a polo man. He can smell him. He knows what he's wearing. Oh, man. Uh, that's, uh, that's hilarious. I know. Maybe the polo is the scent. Visual on the door. This is so well executed. That's the thing. I was loving the drama almost two hours then. That was wrong. Again, it is two and a half hours long. It needs to be this movie. It's so epic. Um, I think it lost a lot of viewers because this didn't happen until almost two hours in the movie. And even with a two and a half hour movie, that's a bit of a no-no for, you know, cash money standpoint. I loved it. It's the best, it's the best, like, closing uh, present you could possibly get. Oh, here we go. It's great that there's... Yeah, it's it's awesome that there's no sound inside, even while it's really loud outside. Back 
30%. Gotta have a countdown or a count up in every sci-fi movie. This looks great. I bet if I look, you know, if I watched on the big screen, it, w- it would look a little sci-fi channel-y. Oh, yeah. Fitchner. Kent. Higher power intervened. <laughs> oh, he didn't just help him in. He organized it. Did J- Joss. He's such a sweetheart. That's the thing about Joss. Even if you're not into God or religion and you think some of his beliefs are bullshit, he's clearly a liberal progressive guy, you know, on most issues. And just a good dude who wants to bring people together and not condemn people to hell. He never mentions hell once or anything fiery or, you know, full of sin. You don't think he talks about sin at all? It's great. Communicates everything. So what's brilliant about this countdown is that you know the communication is going to stop with here with Command Central at some point, but you don't know when. And when it finally happens, I think it's, it's not that you're not expecting it, but she thinks she's still talking to them, and then they're just not there. Something's happening. This is awesome. I love that she can see it through the floor. Now, why... You know, why... Uh, Oh, I wonder if they had a chair in the one Drummond was supposed to go in, and she's saying, you know, no, or whether they came up with it for this one. Right, okay, so she breaks up because of the energy field, which would make sense. That that would fry all circuits. Translucence. I mean, that's the thing. She has such a religious experience through this whole thing, you know, and on the end, it's She's looking at, at Matthew McConaughey. She doesn't know what to say. I mean, Jodie Foster is a fucking action here in this movie. She does it with her brains for the first hour and 40 minutes. And then the last 30, 40 minutes, she does it as a, basically an astronaut. It's great. It's fucking great. I wish they showed this in, in schools, the way I think Martian. Oh, right. I remember watching this and being like, oh, I didn't expect it to come apart as part of the plan. They seem to think, okay, there's rockets going up. What does that have to do with anything? What the hell? That must have just been disposing of fuel, I guess. Ejecting, uh, ejecting fuel uh, containers. I'm ready to go. Oh, this is the classic. We can't hear you. We're shutting it down. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. Don't shut it down. <laughs> Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> Listening to nothing. Pretending like it's Jodie Foster. This looks really... I, this is what I'm always saying. You know, like if you can't afford something that looks super realistic, go, you know, like cosmic, like in, in a Thor standpoint, you know. Far, yeah, make make it far uh, future science fiction, even if it's not. Although I guess it, technology is. I'm okay to go. Oh, that's it. I'm okay to go. Jodie Foster kills this performance where she's just. Oh man! Oh, they'd never gotten this far because the first test obviously failed miserably <laughs> before it got here. Yeah, I mean it's not, you know. It's hard to imagine ever having the technology and it breaks or bends some rules of either relativity or quantum physics or both, but tearing a hole with a giant energy field in space-time and having that go somewhere else in space-time 
Oh, here's the big red switch. Is not inconceivable, you know, just from a theoretical, non-mathematical, but the structure of the universe could work. All right, they they have to bring the blind guy back to hear that she's saying I'm okay to go. You know, it's Hollywood. Fitchner's great. <laughs> Captain Buffoon, they sorry. Inside the core, the weather is beautiful. Yep. So now they have a confirmation. They have a signal, an independent signal inside saying it's okay in there and that she's okay in there. And that that's the whole point of the pod. They don't just drop a person off of that as a pod's going to, you know, it's going to protect them. Man, this is one of the longest countdowns ever. I love it. Oh, yeah, the ship almost tips over. Whoa. Oh, they're in the ship. I totally forgot that. What a great reveal. You're going, where are they? They built into the rock? Boom. Ball goes down. I mean, you know, this was three years before X-Men, but it, it seems like not that much, you know, not that long before. You really excellently executed. You know, it, I mean, it's a huge step up from the, the 90s Star Trek series, obviously. Okay, so here's the first part. This is... Right, okay, so here's more warping of space-time. That makes sense. This is very typical wormhole imagery, but they nail the colors and the uh, the motion of it, the kinetics um, and the acoustics. Um, I've often said this remains the best wormhole ever, and just because it's so long, but this, this is where it gets cool, right? Okay, she's looking out, even the time uh, time space around her is looking weird. Okay, so the fact that she would see a galaxy makes no sense. When you're in the time, you know, when you're in the wormhole, you're outside of normal space-time. However... If that was part of the experience and she was supposed to see it and she's not actually seeing it or they're projecting it or something. This is, uh, gone through a wormhole. Yeah, joy- <laughs> well done. I figured that out a while ago. Uh, but for her to be seeing the star doesn't really make sense. Ooh, is that an alien ship? I never noticed that before. God, the m- kinetics on this are good. The way they keep bending space-time around her. I mean, she's literally sitting on this thing. Oh, right there. That's what I'm talking about. Her face comes apart. It's so cool. Yeah, new designs, new colors. Yeah, face come apart. You know, that's just hinting at us that, you know, she's like existing in multiple space-times, as maybe we all are. I I won't go there right now. Um, Simultaneously. But the way they make it outside, you know... Almost comically, right here, you know, like almost comically outside. Where actually, no, if she just came out of the right, oh, she just came out, she sees the civilization, and then it starts moving again. Oh man, this looks great. There's nothing in the Matrix that looks better than this, as far as I'm concerned. The CGI compass. This has got to be one of the earliest examples of an extended shot of an actor looking at a CGI item floating around in the middle of space. She's doing really good work with the with the eye contact there. Right. She gets herself out of this thing because she feels it coming apart. And once again, Ms. Arroway 
is correct. Oh, right. They frame it as she's going to go save the compass, so she's going to unbuckle herself. She must have a sense of that thing. I mean, you can just see it. It's coming apart. Yeah, it's not bad. It's not bad. It's it's so clearly CGI now, but who cares? It's a little compass. She looks at it. Ooh. Uh-oh. I love how it topples over, and you're like, uh-oh. This could be a vacuum situation. Nope. Closes it off. Dark. This is just, you know, this is just such a beautiful, uh, you know, a beautifully balanced science fiction story where there are characters you don't love, uh, or I should say, you know, there are characters whose behavior you don't approve of, like Drumlin. Um, there's some neutral characters, there's characters that, that, you know, that you do really love, like Kent, uh, Fitchner, Blind Guy. Um, and there's definitely thrills and suspense. Uh, we've had like five countdowns, uh, but it's not dark. Um, in the uh, uh, yeah, she starts crying. It's not morally dark the way Interstellar gets. It's it is. It's right between Martian and Interstellar in terms of. You know, to the extent that it deals with with real issues or or wants to, while at the same time presenting a kind of utopian uh, technological near future, where it's meant to serve people, and you have benevol- benevolent, you know, corporate, uh, um, mega trillionaires who voluntarily want to help people with their money or do things like this. Goes through her eye. I love this sort of womb kind of thing, you know, that she's sort of sort of in the fetal position. You don't even recognize her. I'm trying to see when does it actually become her. And she just floats right on down. Now, this is clearly a mental projection, I think. And they sort of dance around the issue at the end when they basically say, you know, she was hallucinating, but, you know, the fact that she's still wearing all her gear, you know, including her headset, on the one hand, it's the sort of matrix digital projection of the uh, mental self or whatever Morpheus calls it, you know, residual self-image. Because remember, it's also a residual self-image of Papa who's about to come in here. And this is just for the fans. You know, I remember the first couple times I saw this, I was really smitten with this vision of visiting another world. It's the Star Trek shows hint at stuff like this, but, you know, they can't ever really pull it off visually, nor sell the kind of relationship that you can sell in a two-and-a-half-hour film with, you know, huge film stars. But that would be a beach with white sands. I'm thinking this is her, I you know, idyllic, um, you know, scenario from from an ecological standpoint, environmental standpoint. If, if you know, if she could be in any environment, this is where she'd want to be. She want to be where it looks like, and this is what's great. The sun is is so bright on the sand and water. You can see how bright and white the sand is. But the sky is open to the cosmos. 
This is so great. I love this. You know, I mean, the build-up to this and the actual interaction is so spectacular that it makes me forget any similar scenarios I've seen or read before, even though I know I have in books and television and movies, but it's executed in such an original light. Look how they're lit. They're lit like they're in the sun. Dead. And this is where Jodie Foster earns her bones, if she hasn't already. This is a tour de force from Jodie Foster. She kills it in this movie. Oh... I can't believe how young she is. I, I was wrong. She's only in her 50s, which shows how long she's been acting at a high level because it seems like since before I was born. So she's like in her mid-30s. I think she's like 35 here. God. Jodie Foster. I mean, she's going to be good through two to three generations of, of film watchers at least. Right, she's already saying, you download my thoughts, memories. It's all like a computerized kind of setup. Pensacola, up. Yeah, that's, that was her memory of Florida. Thought it might make it easier for you. They miscalculated. Um, in fact, I never really thought about this, but I'm, it's not really clear what the aliens accomplish here. You contacted us. We were just listening, which is exactly what Ellie thinks. Many others. Oh, man. That's so cool. This is her fantasy. Her father on a beautiful beach with the entire cosmos overhead and all sorts of cosmic stuff happening on the beach. I mean, it's like a a super heady acid trip for the smartest astrophysicist in the world. Um, there was an older, I forget, I forgot, it's just, right, there was an older civilization, even then, this guy's civilization, who who left the wormholes, I think. You have your mother's hands. That's coming from her brain, clearly, uh, that's interesting. How would you know that? Yep. I mean, it's very typical first contact stuff. Your species is interesting, you're capable of great things, but also terrible things. Yeah, this is what the Vulcans, I'm sure, were, were saying oh, and or thinking and first contact with uh, us Earthlings 100 years from now. And all our searching, the only thing we found that makes the emptiness bearable is each other. He's telling her... Yeah, he's telling her what Joss has been saying the whole movie. I'm saying you gotta, you gotta take care of your insides. You know, it's not all about what's out in the world. This was a first step in time to take others. Okay, so there's a concept called "this is the way it's done for billions of years." Small moves. She's never going to get to see the full picture. Unclear what they're hoping to communicate. Um, uh, he kisses her. I love how they don't try and make him older. They, you know, it's exactly how she remembers him. But he's just enough older to still feel like dad, even though they're almost the same age. Bam. 
So there is a there's a concept in sci-fi called uplift. And if you've watched this contact commentary with me, thank you. Um and you like this movie, you probably know about science fiction. Boom. And she comes immediately back. That is a brilliant idea. You know, and the and the ultimate reveal Um, you know, the, the video that's not video at the end, that's just like six hours of blankness or whatever. That's the proof that something happened, uh, is a great twist, but you'd think they would have thought of that before she was, uh, before she was deposed in front of Congress. So already, right. She experienced something they thought she, I mean, they experienced her as going straight through, which again, if you're traveling, at you know speeds well past the light you know and or bent fabric in reality these things are very possible um but anyways so there's a concept in sci-fi called uplift where for reasons good bad neutral or otherwise far advanced species um you know purposefully help push forward or pull forward um or force forward or help forward depending on the civilizations um you know less advanced civilizations and and there's many different reasons you know some are purely scientific some are to play god you know obviously it's a constant theme she's seen the footage here she just she doesn't even disappear on the screen you can see the thing Right, all the cameras show her going straight down. James Wood's just a professional curmudgeon at this. It's hilarious. Um, and anyways, the species represented by the vision of her father a few minutes ago is involved in this uplift, and they were uplifted as well. It happened really fast in that conversation, but I believe that 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 is what's said, and that's what happened. You know, so there's an uplift, and then those. You know, by the time the uplifted creatures get to the point where they can uplift, you know, the people who uplifted them are so advanced that they don't know anything about them. They're they're long gone, you know, billions of years between these events, these cosmic events. And so, anyways, the point being, you know, the motive stated by her dad or by the alien playing her dad, um. Uh, he gets obsessed with the inquiry, and he resigns his position for it. Yeah, his motivations never add up. Who cares? Um, so anyways, so her father's people are involved with uplifting, but they don't do it in a forceful or particularly quick way. This is a little tease. I'm not sure what a tease... I, I guess the idea from sort of a Hollywood standpoint, um, or populist... I don't want to say humanistic because it it, it it could be a little misleading because it's a little manipulative is to say to our world watching this, there are people out there and we want you to come find us, but you need to unite as people and move forward in a positive, productive way in order to get there. Right. He's asking about the motives. Exactly. No shred of proof. He said that's been done for billions of years. 
Uh, all our people are watching. <laughs> Self-reinforcing delusion. Yeah. Hmm. That's great on all the TVs. Yeah, Fincher's watching. To fake a signal from Vega. Oh, they're calling into question her entire operation. Yeah. Yeah. All right. He he's going full conspiracy theory that that this was that this was a uh, uh, uh this was staged from the beginning. Yeah. He's going to put this on Haddon, who I think is dead. Calls him perverse and eccentric. <laughs> That's our Haddon. This guy's going to assassinate Haddon. Yeah, that's bullshit. Right. <laughs> so, okay. So Woods is going after the entire thing from the beginning. Um, but what's really interesting... Yeah, right. He's dead. So they can, they can, they can really rip into him now because he's dead and they got to they gotta put him in the body bag. Um, but Matthew McConaughey asks, you know, the important question in the end, which is about belief. And, you know, if you believe something to be true, how is that different? Oh, here comes Occam's Razor. How is that different from it actually being true? So he lays it out with Occam's Razor here, right? Simplest explanation tends to be the right one. So he's going to paint such a farcical version of what happened. Right, a magical machine whisks you away, center of the galaxy, windsurfing with dear old dad. That's the thing. They cast Woods specifically for this speech right here. Yeah, even Joss is getting upset. Even the Reverend, you know, what she's having to go through. I think this, this, you know paranoid uh <laughs> interpretation of what happened um you know as a giant hoax it's meant to lend ellie credibility from a narrative standpoint i'm not really sure right strange credibility have a trillion dollars doesn't seem that much today angela bassett looking beautiful and then charged But they, they're buying into the, at least some of the implications of the hoax or some of the elements. Joss isn't going to save her. Wants to. Doesn't know how. Here it is. Is it possible that it didn't happen? Yes. Right. Yep. She must concede as a good scientist. Oh, man. Matthew McConaughey plays this so well. He's so uncomfortable for her. No, of course he doesn't have any physical evidence. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Hallucinate. <laughs> yeah. He's he's forcing it out of her. 
I can't. I can't concede that, you dickhead. Is he, like, trying to walk away while he's speaking? I had an experience. I can't prove it. I can't even explain it. Yep. Right, this is the whole real thing. This is presaging the Matrix a few years before the Matrix. Philosophically, I think. A vision of the universe. It was clear. It was real. It was undeniable. Right, how tiny and insignificant and how rare and precious we all are. That's what I was talking about from the beginning. That we can be tiny and insignificant, but that also means that we're precious. Something greater than ourselves. Right, we're not alone. She's talking the same language as the good reverend, Mr. McConaughey. She's just coming at it from a different angle. It's it's really smart how they resolve that. It, just in terms of ideology. No one's right. No one's wrong. There's mystery to the universe. And, and that's the thing. That's the thing. She... Right. Awe. Exactly. I wish you could feel that awe and humility and hope. Yeah. It's life-changing. But she can't explain it. And she can't prove it. Even though we have six hours of, of blank videotape... Oh, so, okay. So McConaughey doesn't bust her balls uh, in there. But does he get her to admit in belief? Yep. <laughs> Matthew McConaughey just put a red scarf on him. You can put him, you know, 40 feet away. <laughs> yeah. he. That's the thing. You know, he does believe her, but their notions of belief are not the same. I like that they end up together. It would have been so, so easy to, to break these two apart for fake dramatic tension. But the only time they don't see eye to eye is when he gets her off the mission. Um, oh, wow, the people support her. Certainly helps her to have a guy like him in her corner, obviously. You know, I mean... The true, the true anti-science nuts aren't, aren't even going to listen to Reverend Joss, but this <laughs> is like the end of the uh, the fugitive. Uh, people want to touch her, you know. You got paralyzed people. I mean, some of these people were the same people that were in the desert by the radar dishes, you know. Reverend Joss. Oh, they're talking to him. What do you believe? He's going to be on record. It's a person of faith. I'm bound by a different covenant than Dr. Airway. Right, our goal wasn't the same. Pursuit of truth, exactly. Yeah. He's going to say he believes her. Yeah, exactly. That locked it in. <laughs> yeah. She, he, he's in for life. I'm tearing up a little bit. I'm not going to lie. This is a great relationship. Look at... She's so intense, Jodie Foster, but it's just real. It's not feigned intensity. It's it's real life inside of her. And, you know, when you hear her give a speech, like with an award, rambling, but there there is something to it. I, I, I like her. She is eccentric. I dig it. Right. So now after all that, they're going to say, you know, 
I like that the, the, the president's chief of staff is the one that has to come to this conclusion. Not that she's not brilliant, but Woods is such a moron. This is played great. Continue. <laughs> what interests me, dumbass. Yeah, 18 hours of recorded. Yeah. Can't fake that. <laughs> that is interesting, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, against all odds, the movie doesn't take itself too seriously, you know? Here she is as a teacher, which is exactly what she should be. Exactly what she should be doing, to be scientist slash teacher. Are there other people out there in the universe? Does she ask him? What do you think? Yep, what do you think? I remember all this. I can't believe it. I don't know. Exactly. That's a good answer. Skeptic. <laughs> right. She did. She had a revelation. There are multiple f- levels of truth, or multiple types of truth, I should say. She She finally understands that subjectivity and objectivity are inextricable and cannot be pulled apart. You can be conscious of it. Oh, she just said it's an awful lot of space. That comes from Joss. Here she is, overlooking the canyon. Beautiful. All-American girl, Jodie Foster. Yeah, she's one of America's sweethearts. She was acting when she was like five years old. Yeah. Interestingly, like Jenna Malone in this movie, who probably will never be as famous as Jodie Foster, but uh, not for lack of talent. Yeah, so do we see uh, Matthew Double M? Do we see him at the end of this movie? Right. He's picking up the sand, just like on the beach in the dream, or whatever it was. You know, for me, as a science nerd and a 15-year-old science fiction fan, I, of course, believe that she had an experience. I'm open to the fact that it was symbolic of a different experience that she just couldn't process or so forth. But, you know, in my mind, you know, it was unquestionable that she experienced it. But, you know, I'm I'm biased that way. I guess we don't say that. They leave it open for Carl, right? Sagan died while this was being made. Oh, God. He's so great. He's so great. They're so great. Love this movie. I wish I hadn't waited 15 years. Um, I don't think I'd need to watch it once a year just because you could probably tell I was remembering stuff. Uh, from a long, long, long time ago, and uh, it's so vivid. But every time she, you know they send her through the wormhole in the final like thirty, forty minutes, that whole journey is just so freaking cool. And the fact that the special effects are almost twenty years old detract not at all because it's made with love, and that's what I've really come to realize over the last fifteen, twenty years with the 
revolution uh, um, or so-called revolution in, in special effects and, and, and computer-generated imagery. CGI, there's, there's William Fitchner, great. David Morris, amazing. Um, uh, and Angela Bassett, yes. Um, but, uh, you know, <laughs> Rob Lowe and Jake Beasley are in one title card. Oh, that's great. Yay, Jenna Malone. Um... You know, so, um, music by Alan Silvestri, great movie, uh, one that's really burned, burned in my mind, and, uh, and, you know, opened my mind at the perfect age, right when I was getting into the stuff kind of independently. This gave me a big nudge forward. Um, Carl Sagan and his wife, Andrian, who's still alive. Um, I think we're very much done justice by Zemeckis. And, uh, you know, it's not as in your face of a sort of, advertisement or commercial for science as the martian is it certainly is more than interstellar i would say um but it manages to strike a nice balance of you know having some real dark elements you know terrorist attacks and hallucinations and you know and fathers dying i mean it's not it's not without its um elements of pathos and so forth um, but it is forward-looking, and, uh, you know, I mean, I, I was incorrect that, that they were going to bring up belief. It was sort of implicit in the way um, she talked about it and Chas talked about it, and, and that's what makes it great, and why they didn't have to sell their relationship at the end. You just kind of assume that it's happening, because... Um, yeah, he he said it all. He there was no rubbing in her face. Um, he was he was humbled by the experience. That's how cool that was. You know, he could have easily said, "Look, I told you so." You know, it's all about perception, and you know, truth is what we make it, and like blah blah blah. You know what what religious people will say to self justify, um, but uh, he doesn't. He innately understands it. So, hope you enjoyed that as much as me. And uh, the bizzle's out.